0: You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you, band, for that great worship. Good morning. We really got to start getting in this place earlier, you know? When Stephen's doing announcements, there's like two people in this room, and now look at us. It's, it's amazing. The, the transformation in the first ten minutes of worship is really remarkable. <laughs> well, it's, it's great to see you this morning. Um, I want to also thank you guys, those of you who were able to brave the weather yesterday. We had every season this week didn't we within a span of like 72 hours we had three days four seasons somehow you know uh, it's pretty crazy but thank you guys that that did did come out yesterday and uh, love on our neighbors a little bit through visitation and yeah I heard of many conversations um many seeds planted encouragement to to our neighbors um a chance to pray with some of our neighbors, um, you know that's really what it's all about, isn't it? That's what this is all about: is sharing the love of Christ and sharing the gospel with those around us. Not to stay up in here and just get very theological. We're going to do that, but we're not just going just going to get theological, right, and fill up our minds with stuff. But to to go out and and share and and love on people and. Uh, make sure they know the good news of of salvation so uh, thank you guys for for coming I'd ask you to be in prayer for those on our street here especially those are the ones we we talked to yesterday um, even in these next few moments as we open in prayer I want to ask you to really focus on on these people just right around right around us at the church here so yesterday was a great kickoff to uh, Love Week, and uh, I can't really think of any better scripture to be in than John chapter 19 uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Um, and while you're turning there, I also want to, uh, again, re- reiterate another announcement, um, the, the Seder on, on on Friday, the Seder celebration, and I just want to really encourage you um, to be here. If you haven't RSVP'd for that yet, then, then please do that. Uh, bring somebody. Uh, just let us know they're coming so they can they can prepare. But um, but definitely use this as a, another outreach opportunity. Um, this is the first time we've done anything like this, and uh, you know I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a a great blessing for those of you who might be unfamiliar, uh, which really might be most of us because we're not Jewish, right? So this is a very uh, Jewish thing. Um, the service is about seeing Christ, really, in, in, in the Old Testament, but more specifically in the Passover meal, and um, so there's, there's elements of the Passover meal that all point very clearly to Jesus, and um, so that that's the primary purpose of, of, of coming together on Friday night, um, so again, I would, I would encourage you to be here, uh, to invite somebody, um, and uh, yeah, just just make sure you're RSVP with, with me or Stephen, so. Okay, well, before we dive in this morning, um, let's pray, okay? Father, I thank you um, so much for who you are, Lord. And we thank you for this church family that you've gifted us with, Lord. Um, God has loved these people, so thankful for them. Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, you would speak to us, speak to your people. Your words. Please move me out of the way. Please remove distractions this morning. And you speak, Father. You get the glory. God, we pray for those um, those on our street. God, those houses that we uh, visited um, yesterday. Lord, we pray for even the ones that we weren't able to talk to. Um, and, and Lord... God, God, your your word says that, that your word will not return void, and God, we know we left them with your word yesterday, and we just ask that you would multiply that, Father, in their lives, Lord, whatever is needed, Lord, you know what's needed, whether it be salvation, whether it be um, encouragement, Father, healing, Lord, several uh, broken stories we heard yesterday, Father, whether it just be uh making beauty out of those ashes god we just pray for these people on our street Um, we pray that they would know you and that they would uh, cherish you and and worship you father father and god we we again we as we turn our attention to the word we ask that you would be glorified and we ask all these things in jesus name amen amen um well, so in addition to being love week for us uh, here at, at Risen Live, this is also, as, as you guys know, uh, Palm Sunday, so the, the week, the Sunday before um, Easter or Resurrection Day. Uh, in chapter 12 of John, anybody remember chapter 12 at this point? We're in chapter 19. It's, it's been a minute since we've been in chapter 12. It seems like ages uh, since we covered uh, chapter 12. But in that chapter, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, um, and he was hailed as the king of Israel by thousands and thousands of um, Israelites, of his own people. They, they laid palm branches um, before him to express their allegiance to him as king. And this was a day that was predicted uh, very, very specifically in the Old Testament by Daniel the prophet in chapter 9 of Daniel where he really predicted this triumphal entry even to the day in history. Um, so now here we are this morning in, in chapter 19, uh, just, just a few days later, uh, se- several chapters later in John, but just a few days later, a- and Jesus is, is now being crucified, as demanded uh, by, by many of those same people in the crowd that were hailing his, him as king, now they've been in a different crowd, screaming, crucify him. They've demanded that he, he die. Um, how, how fickle and how, how wobbly uh, we humans can be, right? Um, and how evil can be the extent of the human heart. Um, as we see here in the details of the crucifixion, but we find that in this chapter, that, that even in his crucifixion, even in this darkest hour in history, the deity and and the majesty and the glory of Christ are still proclaimed. Uh, they still uh, radiate off these pages. Um, we started looking at this section last week, and we titled it "The Glory of the Cross." The glory of the cross. And so last time we read this entire section from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 42. And so we're not going to do that this morning. We're not going to read the entire section um, in one. We're going to read it uh, piece by piece as we go. And so last time we spent all of our time uh, looking at specific prophecies that the crucifixion of Christ fulfilled. And that was our first point, the, the prophecies fulfilled God had had planned before the foundation of the world and prophesied very specifically in the Old Testament hundreds of years and even thousands of years uh, before uh, through His prophets that He would send a Savior. He would send a Savior who would save all who would come to Him in faith through His being cut off by His people and and being crucified on a cross and, and taking the wrath of God against our sin. God had predicted that hundreds of years before. Um, you know, In this moment, when it seems that, that darkness is winning, that's how the cross seems, that, 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 that darkness is winning, that, that God is failing, what we find is that even in this dark moment, the moment of His death, the glory of Christ is being revealed through, through very specific Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in this moment, fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Satan is thinking, I've finally won. I've I've killed God's Son. I have won. Meanwhile, the Old Testament is screaming, this was all part of God's plan. Every single detail, everything is just as He had said and revealed previously. And, And so we see uh, the glory of the cross in the prophecies fulfilled. We focused on that last time. Now, this morning, there, there are four, way, four more ways that, that I want to explore this morning in which the cross shows the glory of Jesus. Um, so we've looked at the prophecies fulfilled. Now let's turn our attention to the placard on his cross. The placard on his cross. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 19. Uh, we're just going to read through 22 here. It says, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Well, starting in verse 16, uh, we saw last week that Pilate has now delivered Jesus up to the soldiers to be crucified, just as prophesied in the Old Testament. And they have brought him uh, to a place just outside the city called the place of a skull, or Golgotha, or Calvary. Um, and, and as he is brought there, he is bearing his cross, he, he is carrying his cross. And it says that once they got to this place, they crucified him alongside two others with Jesus in the middle. And starting in verse 19, we read that Pilate had written a title on a sign or a placard. And it said this, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, this was customary for for crucifixion. Oftentimes, the accused criminal would, would wear this placard around his neck as he bear, bore his cross and traveled uh, through the city to the place of his execution. And on this, this sign, on this placard, there, there would be written the crimes for which he was being crucified. It was meant as, as yet another humiliation for this, this, this criminal, in most cases, uh, kind of like the, the A in the book, The Scarlet Letter, if you, if you had to read that in high school or read it for fun, perhaps, um, but kind of like the A on the, on the woman's uh, front that, 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 that stood for adultery, her crime, right? Uh, this was very uh, similar in that way. It was a symbol of, of shame, only here the shame of of the sign was, was really the least of the worries, because these men were, were going to be crucified. They were marching to their deaths, and, and once they arrived at the site for execution, the sign would be nailed above their heads on the cross for all to see. It was it was complete humiliation, and, and also it was meant to be a deterrent for anyone who who had the same ideas, right? If they decided to to be a a thief like the two on on each side of Jesus. Um, It would be a deterrent for that kind of behavior. But see, Jesus committed no crime, right? He committed no crime, and and Pilate knew that. So he wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Interesting that, that even the sign placed above his cross showed no condemnation for this perfect Savior. See, everything about the trial and the murder of, of Christ screamed his absolute innocence. He was innocent. Remember, Pilate had, had publicly pronounced this several times during the trial that he was innocent. I find, I find uh, no guilt in him, no crime in him. He is innocent. And yet, here Jesus is on, on the cross. Now, now, I don't think Pilate was, was necessarily trying to proclaim Jesus' innocence with what he wrote here. I don't think he, he thought about that, really. I think Pilate was, was trying to give one more jab at these Jewish leaders whom he really despised. Remember, Nazareth was, was kind of known as an insignificant town in Israel. Remember when, when Jesus called one of his disciples, um, a comment was made from one of them, uh, could anything good come from Nazareth? Because Jesus was from Nazareth, right? And, and one of them said, could, could anything good come from Nazareth? So for the king of the Jews to come from Nazareth, and that would be considered really an impossibility by the Jewish people and an insult, certainly. And Pilate is, is really saying to these Jewish leaders, here is your king, insignificant And crucified. And that's the only king you filthy people deserve. That's what I think Pilate's trying to say with his sign here. He's taking a shot at the leaders. At least he thinks he is. But again, what evil Pilate meant to satisfy his own heart, his own evil heart, God used to proclaim truth to the world. Pilate wrote this in in three languages, the three languages of the day. He wrote it in Greek, Latin, and and, and probably Aramaic, or the language that the common Hebrew spoke. Um, Everyone who came in and out of the city, everyone who, who saw Jesus marching through the city bearing his cross, would see that in their language. King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews, many, many thousands would see this as he traveled to his death. Uh, they would see the truth that the kingship of Jesus is universal, not just, for ev- not just for the Jews. Of course, he is the king of the Jews, but this is a message for the entire world. And the Jewish leaders recognized this and they hated this. Of course, they didn't want people walking by and thinking that this statement was true, though it was true. They said to Pilate, you've got to change this. You need to change it to, he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate, in his stubbornness, he finally has a backbone here. right? We've been waiting for Pilate to have a backbone. It's a little too late, honestly, um, for him. But But he finally stands up for something. He says, what, what I've written, I've written. I'm, I'm not going to change it. We see, just like we saw last week, uh, through some of these prophecies, evil men just being evil, but God accomplishing His purposes even through their evil. Uh, this is very similar to chapter 11 where, where Caiaphas had intentions to speak evil concerning Jesus. Uh, But God uses His words to proclaim remarkable truth about His Son. Here, Pilate, he has only evil intentions, no doubt. Uh, But God uses it to proclaim the innocence of His Son and also the absolute truth of His Son's purpose so that many would see. Even as men try to accomplish evil in the cross, the result is just Jesus being glorified. The glory of the cross. So as we move on here in the text, we looked last week at how verses 23 and 24 fulfilled specific Old Testament prophecy um, as the soldiers gambled for his clothes. And then in verse 25, I want us to see our next point, the passion for his own. Let's read 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. John says here that there were four women there by the cross. Now all of the disciples, except for John now, um, are scattered at this point, right? They've, they've all scattered. Uh, since the garden, they've been scattered. Uh, Peter followed for a little bit, but he doesn't seem to be in the scene here. But there, by, by John's side, and, and right there at the cross with Jesus, are, are four women, We see that in the resurrection narrative. Women played a a leading role as well. We'll see that in the coming weeks. In the most dangerous of times surrounding the death of Christ, the women would not abandon Him. And boy, what what a crucial role women have played in in church history. Oftentimes carrying much of the load as, as men sit by idly uh, not fulfilling their roles as leaders. I'm so thankful for a church where, where we do have actually many men who, have, who do step up to the plate, who set the tone for worship by their lifestyles and their attitudes towards Christ. But, but my goodness, man, we have been blessed with some wonderful women, haven't we? Amen. We've been blessed with some, some wonderful, thank you, Heath. We, we've been blessed with some wonderful, wonderful uh, women of faith in our congregation, bold women, and women who, who aren't afraid to stand for the truth even, even when it's going to cost them something. And thank God for, for you ladies um, in our fellowship. And here at the cross, we see four women. We see Mary's sister. Now that's more than likely John's mother and James's mother, uh, Salome, There's Mary, the the wife of Clopas, it says. She's she's probably the the mother of another disciple, James the Lesser, the other James. Um, And then there's Mary Magdalene. And and remember, Mary Magdalene, Jesus had had, uh, cast out seven demons from her. And so she is here at the cross now with Jesus. And then there was Mary, Jesus' mother, Now, if you're a mother to a son this morning, can you imagine this? Even if you're not, I mean, can you imagine seeing your son on on a cross? And Mary, in, in her case, her son's committed no crime. She's seeing her innocent little boy. You know, I don't think you ever start see you stop seeing them as your your little boy, right? And here's Mary at the cross seeing her innocent son being tortured for crimes he didn't commit. I wonder if you've ever thought about the pain that, 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 that Mary must have felt. I wonder if the words of, of Luke 2 35 would have been ringing in her ears. That, that was when she and, and Joseph had taken Jesus to the temple for for dedication after his birth and a devout man named Simeon prophesied to them and part of what he said there he said to Mary he said a sword will pierce through your own soul also a sword will pierce through your soul not just his well this was that sword being pierced through the heart of Mary she, she watched them pierce her son, whom she loved dearly, and, and boy, it, it pierced her soul. And what we see here is, is the glorious care of Jesus for his own here. He looks at Mary and he says, "Woman, behold your son." And he looks at John, That's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's writing an eyewitness account. Remember, he's the only one that records this for us. And he says, behold your mother. Well, think of the pain of Mary hearing these words from Jesus. And the finality of it all. Her finally starting to realize, you know, this is it perhaps perhaps she thought that, that you know maybe, maybe he's still going to come down from this. You now, maybe he, this isn't going to end in death. I don't know what Mary thought. Perhaps she thought that though. She had seen him work miracle after miracle after miracle. Perhaps she thought he would save himself here, but as if he's saying goodbye to her. He says, Behold, your new son, John. Joseph seems to be long gone at this point, probably has already passed away. Uh, Jesus' brothers, they, they don't believe in Jesus, remember, until after the resurrection when he appears to them. But he doesn't, they don't believe in, in Jesus, and so he leaves her in the loving care of, of John. What an honor that must have been for John. Right, And it says that from that hour, John, John mimicked that love of Christ for Mary. And he, he took Mary to his own. Even in these final moments of, of Jesus' life, in ultimate physical pain and, and spiritual pain, he's just suffered the wrath of the Father against sin. And he 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 still takes the time to care for his mother. He still takes the time to care for his mother. What a glorious Savior. His compassion is, is glorious. His selflessness is so glorious. And I'm reminded of, of of the words in Matthew twelve that Jesus spoke. It says he stretched out his hand towards his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We're we're reminded that the same love and care and and protection and, and compassion that he shows to his mother in these final moments, he has that same love and care for those of us who believe. He is so tender-hearted toward the hurting. Even in in our most painful moments, Christ is so gentle and so tender-hearted and He loves us so dearly. And He says to those who believe, "I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what, there's nothing you can do. I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. You can't outrun the love of the Savior. And so His glory is seen in the passion for His own. Next, I want us to look at the proclamation in His death. Jesus made seven statements on the cross. I remember in Luke 23, the first statement He made was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, He's looking at these people crucifying Him. They've literally nailed Him to a tree. And He says, Father, forgive them. And boy, that must have done something in the heart of this thief that's that, that's uh, sitting hanging beside Him. Because we know that that thief, one of the two thieves on the cross, gave his life to Christ. He received Jesus' love there hanging on the cross. And he said, his second statement, today you will be with me in paradise. What grace... What grace radiates from from those first two statements toward vile, wicked sinners of the worst sort, at least from the world's perspective. The worst sinners. He says, Father, forgive them. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because he believed. His third statement was what we just read, Woman, behold your Son. And then Mark 15 records that as the end approached, as Jesus has experienced the, the full cup of God's wrath being poured out on Him, it says that He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? We looked at that last week a little bit. Remember, that's the opening line from Psalm 22. Written a thousand years before. That has everything to do with crucifixion. All of those prophecies we went through last week. From Psalm 22 about the crucifixion. This was verse 1. Then John records here in verse 28. And and we saw this last time. he, He records that Jesus says, I thirst... Again, fulfilling prophecy. And then that brings us to verse 30 here. Let's read John 19, verse 30. It says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He he gave up His spirit. Just before He gave up His spirit, Jesus said, uttered his last statement, also recorded in Luke 23. He says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But John wants us to focus. He wants to focus to be on that sixth statement of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. That's just one word in the Greek. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. In fact, it's not just in verse 30 that we see this word. It's twice in verse 28. Verse 28 really reads like this Jesus, knowing that all things were now to tell us, die, that the scripture might be to tell us, die. It's twice there in verse 28, a version of that word. John really doesn't want us to miss the, the imagery and the reality of the moment here. The word to it means accomplished, finished, done. It's been found in 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 ancient papyri for, for receipts on taxes, meaning paid in full. Paid in full. And so what is, what is it that Jesus here is saying is being paid in full? It's completed. It's finished, accomplished. See, He's not just saying, well, that's it. My life is over. It is finished. It is infinitely more than that and, and, and so much more beautiful. He's saying first that He has completed every ounce of work that the Father had given Him. To complete the mission the Father has given him, it is complete. He has completely fulfilled the law of God with his righteous, perfect life. He is the perfect Lamb, fulfilling the law. Even the trial, even the sign on the cross, agree. Speaking of of Lamb, he, He is not just. Fulfilling the law, but fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system. At the very moment that that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered, some scholars think, he is proclaiming on the cross, that system is finished. That system is fulfilled, completed. It all points to this moment. It points to me. It is finished. Matthew tells us that at at Jesus' death, there were physical signs everywhere. There was darkness upon all of the earth for three hours as he was hanging there. Those final three hours. Darkness upon the earth. There was a great earthquake when he died. Rocks were split. In fact, the centurion there, he, he... He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. There's so many things going on around him. It was hard not to believe, honestly, with the signs that they're seeing. Matthew even says that dead saints were coming out of their graves and walking around. And two of the Gospel writers say that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. This was the veil that separated the regular holy place, the regular part of the temple, from the place where God Himself was said to dwell, the holy of holies. This is the place where only the high priest could go, and only one time per year, and only after, um, after giving a sacrifice for his own sin, and only with very specific instructions. Once a year. See, the veil was there to show that sin had not truly been atoned for. Ever. The blood of animals could not atone for sin. People were saved by their faith, yes, but but sin still had to be atoned for. It was left unatoned all those years in Israel, year after year, in the day of atonement. Well, it wasn't true, final atonement. Romans 3 says that God in His forbearance passed over the sins previously committed until the time of Jesus. He bared with the sin until Jesus came in the fullness of time. He overlooked them until the sacrifice came. And so the veil stood there even to this moment. But now in Jesus, the wrath of God has been completely and truly satisfied. Sin had been completely atoned for. Now in Christ, one who believes can have Christ's perfect life placed on him. He can have true righteousness that was earned not by himself, but by Christ, and that is given to him. Imputed to him. And he can approach the throne of God boldly now, having had his sins completely taken out of the way. There's no more need for animal sacrifice. It was simply to point to this perfect lamb in faith. Hebrews 9 says that now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He didn't have to do this year after year after year. And Hebrews asked the question, by the way, why did they have to do this year after year after year? Because it wasn't complete. It wasn't truly atoning for sin. But Christ has appeared once for all to atone for the sins of many. His one death. Did what the death of millions. And millions of animals. Year after year after year. Could not do. But only look forward to. They were only meant as a visual. That, that, that first of all. Our, our sin costs something. And second of all. That there is a Savior Coming. Now at his death, the veil is torn and access to God is opened by his blood once and for all. All the prophecy of the suffering servant has been fulfilled in Jesus. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus. The Old Testament sacrificial system, it's been fulfilled in Jesus, completed to tell us It is finished. And because of this, we can have our sins forgiven. Though we've done nothing to earn it. We've only contributed sin. That's what you've contributed to your salvation. But He has seen us in our sin. And He's chosen to pay for it with His blood. It is finished. Amen? It is finished. The penalty of God's wrath against sin has been paid in full. It is finished. Our hearts, even as believers, can become so legalistic and even superstitious. You know, you see it blatantly in in the sacraments of, of Catholicism. You see that superstition, that legalism, that oh, I've got to do these things, I've got to do these things. Otherwise, you know, Jesus' death was good, but it wasn't enough. There's other things that must be done here. We see it clearly in the requirements of, of the Jehovah's Witnesses that they have on their people and, and the Mormons that they have on their people. Jesus' blood, is, it's part of the whole thing, but it's not enough. But, but don't you see it in your own heart as well? We cannot just believe that it is finished. We struggle so much with that. We will not just believe that Jesus paid it all. That I must do nothing but believe and repent. Repent. There must be more I should do. Do do you you ever think, you know, have I done enough? Is God really, is He pleased with me? Have I done enough? God wouldn't be pleased with the way I am right now. And we feel we must perform for God. Otherwise, we fill our hearts back up with guilt and with shame. Not the good kind that leads to immediate repentance, but the bad kind, guilt and shame that that paralyzes us and keeps us from being used for His kingdom. See, that's not Christianity. That's just superstition. It's superstition. Christian, you've got to come out from the weight of, of your shame. You heard Him. It is finished. You read that. It is finished. He has accomplished perfection for you. He has accomplished salvation for you. If you've placed your trust in Him through repentance of sin, how could you think you're powerful enough to now come back under the wrath of God? And now have to earn it now have to earn His favor. How prideful, in fact, to think that our good works could, could more completely accomplish what the death of Christ couldn't quite accomplish. We, we must stop letting our past or even our present struggle with with sin run the show in our Christian lives. We must stop putting back on those chains that Jesus broke off of us. In Christ, it is finished. You are free now, Christian. Free to live for Him. Not because you must, but because He has done this. And how could I not want to? How could I not love this Savior? You are free to fail because your success never did anything anyway. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out of here and just do whatever your little heart desires from a sinful perspective. Don't be silly. That's ridiculous. If Christ has has done this and you truly believe this, there is no way that is your response. That is a silly response. That's stuff that the world thinks about. A true Christian doesn't even think about that. I'm not saying a true Christian doesn't sin, but a true Christian doesn't walk out of here and say, I'll just go do what I want to do now. Way to go. It is finished. Now, that's no true Christian. That's not someone who has is, who is, who is, who is dwelt upon Jesus on the cross and who has laid it all down and said, Lord, I repent of sin. How could we repent of sin and then go chase the very sin and with gladness of heart saying it is finished? That's not a Christian response. But I am saying, give yourself a break sometimes. And and stop trying to earn God's favor all the time. Minister. Do service for the Lord. But not because you think God's going to have more favor in you. He is not. He cannot have more favor upon you, Christian, than He has right now in this moment. Because when He sees you, He sees His Son. His his perfect Son. His perfect daughter now. Christ's righteousness has been gifted to you. And nothing will change that. No good work will make it better. No sin will make it worse. His righteousness is your righteousness. In God's eyes. And sometimes I think we just need to hear that again. And again. And again. And don't you need to hear it every day, Christian? I do. If there's sin in your life this morning, repent by all means. It has been paid for by the Savior But stop trying to earn God's favor. And just fall at the feet of this tender hearted Jesus. Full of mercy Jesus. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All shame. All guilt. It is finished. Amen. Amen. So, his glory is seen in this final proclamation here. We looked at verses 31 through 37 last time and how they fulfilled prophecy again perfectly as the soldiers um, don't break the legs of Jesus, but they spear him instead, seeing that he's already dead. Now, let's skip down to verse 38, and I want to read these final verses. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Well, we've seen the glory of the cross in in the prophecies fulfilled in the placard on His cross, in the passion for His own, and in the proclamation in His death. And, and now we're going to see it in the preparation for His burial. And this could be a sermon of its own if we had time. All of these points could, in fact. Um, we see in these final verses that the transformation that is available in Christ and really, we see the only response to all this that makes any kind of sense. Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew says that he was a good and just man, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. This is the same Sanhedrin who had just decided during the night that they were going to kill Jesus. Only Matthew tells us that Joseph didn't consent to that decision. He was a rich man. He he was obviously a man of high status, being part of the Sanhedrin. But John tells us that he was was a disciple of Jesus, only a, a secret one for fear of the Jews. He had been too afraid to speak up for Jesus during... Jesus' life. We don't know anything else about Joseph other than what he did for Jesus' burial. The Bible doesn't tell us anything else. But he, he makes an extremely bold move here. I think he is tired of, of, of being a coward. He is tired of that inner struggle. I, I know that Jesus is who he says he is. I know that he is who he says he is, but then he gets in the midst of that council with the people who hate Jesus, and he cowers, right? He believes it, but he just can't quite say it. He can't quite leave everything and just follow Jesus. But at this point, He's seen Jesus face death face death with courage and with bravery and without looking back. He has seen Him face the wrath of God looking straight ahead. And I think Joseph here draws a line in the sand with his own fear. He asked Pilate for Jesus' body. Now, this would have very clearly identified Joseph as a follower of Jesus. Uh, the cat's out of the bag here. I mean, this puts everything in jeopardy for Joseph. His, his membership on the council, uh, his money, his status, his, his very life would be at stake at this point. And we find that he's not alone here. Our friend Nicodemus from chapter 3, Jesus called him the teacher in Israel. It says that he also came with Joseph. He too is now risking everything. He's also a member of this council. And look what they do. They, they offer their very, very best. Joseph gives his own tomb. His new tomb which was near the cross. His extravagant tomb. And that doesn't seem like maybe a lot to you this morning, but nobody had a tomb back then. You had to be very wealthy to have a tomb to be buried in, to, have to bury your family in. Now, this tomb was near the cross, and, and Joseph, he gives it up. This Jesus that he had been so afraid to speak about, Now he has to speak about him. He he can't keep silent for one second longer. Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. This was, that's an insane amount. Uh, A very, very expensive amount. That's an amount that would be used to bury a king. Of course, Jesus, of course is the king of kings. And Nicodemus and Joseph, they are now saying very publicly, Jesus is our king. We will follow him. And we see there the only response that makes sense. Complete devotion. Public devotion. Extravagant devotion. To this Savior. It finally clicked for these men. They had been transformed by by the cross. And they laid everything down at this point. And I love that there's two of them. They did it together. So many times the boldness of a friend can mean so much, can't it? I mean, it's one thing to go knock on doors by yourself, but when, you, when you've got a, another believer here with you, to bear that with you, to bear that fear with you, well, it means so much when we as the church will be the church. Be there for one another. Bear burdens of another encourage another to step up to the plate in their faith. Two is just better than one. Right? So they came together and and they poured out their love extravagantly. The glory of the cross is transformation of, of those who would believe. But I want you to notice that they didn't expect Jesus to rise. They bound his body in strips of linen with spices. They put a hundred pounds of stuff on him. They laid him in this tomb. No one expected Jesus to rise. Not these men, not the women, and not the disciples who he had told on many occasions, I'm going to rise. They didn't expect it. They're gone. Where are they? John's here. No one expected it. All hope was lost for these people, it seemed. They all dearly, dearly loved Jesus. And boy, these men, they wanted to shower His body with the best that they had because they believed that Jesus was who He says He was. The King of Israel sent by God. And they had now seen His passion on the cross. But the cross was so brutal. I mean, Jesus was mutilated. To see a man suffer like that, you can kind of see how that removes that prophecy about Himself. I'm going to rise. Seeing the, the absolute mutilation Of him on the cross. Would have been devastating. Next week. We will begin to look. On Easter weekend. at, At. What happened. On that third day. It's Friday here. But Sunday is coming. Right. Sunday. Is coming. And maybe that's you this morning. As we. As we close, it's, it's Friday for you, and not, not the good kind of Friday, but this kind of Friday. And your life feels like just as hopeless as, as, as what these men must have felt, what the disciples must have felt. Like all oh, hope, is it's gone. I want you to know that it's not gone. God has taken the most hopeless situation and accomplished the most remarkable thing in history through it. Our salvation. The glory of the cross is that there's one who's paid our debt. He's made us clean and now He calls us His sons and His daughters. Call upon the name of the Lord this morning. If you're without hope, call upon upon the name of the Lord. There is hope everlasting and, and unbelievable in Him. In Him, we, we can be made perfect. In Him, the shame is gone. The guilt is gone. The sting of death is gone. For a Christian, uh, for a Christian the death is just a doorway to the next life with Jesus in paradise. That's all death is to us. The sting is gone because sin is gone. That ought to give you joy this morning and a joy that nothing on this earth can steal. What on this earth could steal our joy? And what on this earth could contain us from sharing this kind of news? Why is it so easy to contain us? when we have this hope. I'm going to ask the band to come on up as we shut it down here. And some of you this morning, you just need to be reminded that it is finished in Christ. It is complete. It is accomplished. And you need to stop letting Satan have his way with your mind. Though you've placed your faith in Him, you're still bent on earning His favor. You need to know that in Christ you are completely perfect. You have been made perfect. You are forgiven. And you are loved. There's nothing more that needs to be accomplished or can be accomplished. Maybe you've strayed this morning because of that just bad theology. Thinking that, that your state with God is, is dependent upon you so much. Well, you need to come back if that's the case. Come back and, and receive the repent the, the forgiveness that is there for you. Others this morning may just need to be reminded that there's hope. There is hope and and though even even this chapter here, chapter 19, ends with hope seemingly lost. This isn't the end. Chapter 20 is coming. He's not only a Savior who has paid it all in His death, but He's a Savior who has conquered death. And because He lives, we can have life and we can have it more abundant. And there still may be others that are listening this morning who just, you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ. And you need to do that this morning. You need to see the glory of this cross for the first time. And you need to stop running. And you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And you will be saved. You will be made perfect no matter what you've done or where you are this morning, would you put your trust in this wonderful Savior? If you want to do that this morning, you do that through repentance of sin and then declaring your trust for Him. Your trust is the only hope to pay for your sin. Your trust is the only hope in this life. And you ask Him to save you, and He will. He will save you. I'm going to be in the back in in a few moments when we close. And if you'd like to pray with me, then, then grab me. We can go in that room and pray. If you'd like to come up here to the altar and pray, then then do that. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus, if you'd like to receive Christ this morning, and you just don't know how exactly to put that into words, again, come find me. I'd love to pray with you. But whatever God's calling you to do this morning, don't leave here without doing it. We're going to go ahead and uh, close in prayer, and then we'll... Uh, End with a song. And Father, we are so grateful for the cross. And we're so grateful that it is finished. You have accomplished our salvation. You have accomplished our perfect status before You. And we can approach Your throne boldly. God, we are so undeserving We just give You praise and honor and glory for Your cross. For loving us when we're really unlovable, Lord. But You love us still so much. Lord, I pray if there's one upon the sound of my voice who needs to come to You in repentance and faith that You would help them, Lord. By Your Spirit, convict them of sin. draw them to Your cross. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the cross. Lord, give us faith to believe this Word every day of our lives. Lord, to believe the finality of it, the completion that is in the cross. It is hard to believe that we could be made perfect in front of You. Holy God, give us faith to believe that what Jesus said was accomplished was accomplished. And Lord, we look forward to worshiping and celebrating Your resurrection together next week. Lord, I pray that Love Week, this week, Lord, will be a time where we are sharing the love of Christ. We are having Gospel conversations. or We are stepping out like Joseph like, like Nicodemus, finally getting beyond this fear. And we are intentionally speaking with people about the cross this week. Father, give us boldness. Unbelievable boldness. Boldness that the world literally would not believe. Help us, Lord, through your Spirit. God, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus. We ask all these things in His name. Amen.